Hey everybody, I'm Jordan Tenenbaum, the host of the Saligo Technology Leaders Podcast. I'm the social media manager over here at Saligo. And today we are joined by a very special guest, Josh Rangel, the SVP of social media at Golan. Josh, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Good, Jordan. Excited to be here. Fantastic, man. I'm very, very excited to have you on. For those listening, my typical co-host, Mark Simon, our vice president of strategy, is out today. Um, so it's just the two of us, um, but let's jump right into it. Uh, the first thing that I wanted to ask you, Josh, uh, I think a lot of people know you from your fantastic work on um, in, in social media in general, but also specifically on LinkedIn. But I don't think a lot of people know too much about your history. So could you tell us um, just a little bit about uh, yourself and kind of how you got to where you are in your career? Sure. So um, uh, currently, as you mentioned, I'm an SVP of social media at Golan, and I've been at Golan for what is now going on 18 years. It, it will be 18 years in December, which in agency life is a is a lifetime. But um, how I got there was after I graduated college, I had a I, I went to school for marketing, um, came out at a time when jobs weren't all that uh, plentiful, went on rounds and rounds of interviews, and then finally landed a job actually in radio um, at a radio station, which no longer exists in Chicago, was called 94.7 The Zone. It was an alternative rock radio station. Um, and I had interned there um, while I was in college, ended up getting a job there in the promotions department. So that was you know, kind of being the face of the radio station, going out and going to events and talking to listeners and, and really being the, the face and what people interacted with when they were, um, when they had their first contact with the radio station. So did that for about two years and kind of, kind of was in a position where I needed something, wanted to do something different. And um, uh, uh, my sister put me in contact with a friend of hers who was a, um, PR professional at Edelman. And he recommended to me to get an internship. And at this point, it was a little bit, you know, not necessarily right out of school. So I didn't know if an internship was right, but I knew I wanted to move my career. And so ended up seeking out an internship, ended up getting an internship at Edelman for six months. Great experience. And this was more in the PR field. So I was doing media lists and um, pitching the media, um, helping develop press releases and things like that. And so after Edelman, I got a full-time job at Golan, which is where I'm currently at, and, and did that. Was a PR generalist again, keep doing um, media pitches, media relations, uh, um, writing press releases, those types of things that you do. And I, I think I was okay at it. Um, I wasn't going to say I'm <laughs> the best at it, but so at some point, social media came around, and I got asked to do research. What is now would be uh, considered influencer research but to do research around uh, YouTube creators who were developing content. And this was around 2008. So it early was years. super early. Yeah, right? Like I think YouTube was only two years old at that point. Um, but it wasn't, they weren't called influencers yet. So did some research for this Klondike campaign. Client uh, Klondike Bar was a client of ours back then. And, you know, did this research for them. And I was like, this is really interesting. I really like this. and. Um, so then started to kind of raise my hand, hey, any more work like this we can do. And then uh, my one of my uh, colleagues, who was one of our only social media folks at the time, um, said, hey, go sign up for Twitter and for Facebook, not only yourself, but sign up um, Klondike. And I'm like, what are those things? I knew what Facebook was, but I didn't know what Twitter was. Um, and so signed up and just I was the first social media manager for Klondike and for several other ice cream brands, Briars, Popsicle. Magnum ice cream and a couple others. Uh, so I helped build their social presences from nothing into, you know, um, into kind of where they were at the point where we no longer were working with them. And, and then, you know, I helped oversee some of that with, with some of my staff, uh, some of my uh, junior team members there, but um, I just kind of dug in and I was like, I really like this. And that I could say was something I was actually good at. I really enjoyed it. I understood it and went from there. And so kind of worked my way up from, uh, being kind of like the social, a typical social media manager at that time and into being more of a social media strategist, really focusing on the strategy development, uh, content, overseeing the, the team that is doing kind of the day to day work. Um, and, you know, so we're working on Unilever ice cream for a while, then rolled on to the McDonald's account where I helped kind of lead some of the our earned media and earned communications um, programs from a social perspective. 
um, and from an influencer standpoint. And, you know, over the course of that was like six years, then rolled on to some other clients, Allstate, Grubhub, Dyson, to name a few. And now back on, I'm back onto the McDonald's account in a more kind of a more senior role. Um, and we work with them, their ad agencies, uh, social agencies and things like that. So, um, but now, you know, more of doing more of the social media strategy, client counsel oversight of, of, of the team who's kind of doing the day-to-day in the weeds work. Um, so that's kind of been my evolution of, of where I've come from long winded way of doing, of, of saying that. That's really cool, man. It's, it, it's, it's interesting to hear about people coming from a, a really traditional media source like radio or, or print, um, mm-hmm. and kind of through the early years of social media, you know, kind of when it was really a wild west to what it is now is a really established channel of marketing, advertising, media in general. I'm curious, um, the hardest rock on the planet, is that a slogan that you came up with at the radio station that you worked at? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. Um, I, I was not, I was not as, uh, involved in the creative elements back then, just mainly more of the communications of it. No worries. I, I saw that uh, tagline. I was like, man, that sounds like maybe something Josh could have created yeah, 15, yeah. 20 years ago. Um, Absolutely. You're, you're kind of right, Jordan. <laughs> okay. Well, perfect. So that's a, that's a fantastic introduction. And I think a lot of people have a, a pretty good idea of, of PR or a PR agency mm-hmm. and what they do. Um, but I don't think a lot of people, you know, and I mean that in a very general sense, um, you know, PR kind of has a, a rep, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's in, you know, TV shows or in media in general. Um, but what does, if you had to describe it to someone who's in the know, what, like, what does Golan do and specifically you at Golan do for these customers? Obviously you, you help with social media strategy, you help mm-hmm. them generate ideas and ensure that their content is on point. Um, that's a very basic introduction, what I just said, but if, if, if you had to describe it more in depth from your point of view, you know, what do you do there and, and what does Golan do for these companies in terms of social media? Mm-hmm. So I'll start with, and it, this is a, a, a kind of a roundabout way of getting to the answer to the question, but, um, one of the, one of my favorite phrases that Al Golan, who's the founder of our agency said about PR and kind of like just to for for somebody to understand so he said pr advertising is what you say about yourself pr is what other people what other people say about you right and so it's about reputation it's about earning that trust and about earning kind of that advocacy with people because you're not just getting put in front of them with time that you bought or things that you want to say ultimately other people say it for you based on kind of what you put out there and so what we do from a goal and standpoint is we are, you know, a PR, a PR agency, um, but we really have a strong focus on creative and earned first ideas. And by that, I mean, the things that are going to get in front of people and stop them in their tracks on their phone or on their laptops or tablets or whatever, and get them to stop and pause and look at it, right? Because the ideas that are earned first are the ones that really sing in social because they capture your attention. And you can pay to get in front of people and, and that's fine and that's great. It has it has a role. But when we come from we come from that earn first communication lens because um, we believe that an earned idea can work in paid, but a paid idea always can't work in owned. It, it, it doesn't always work the other way around. So if we have something, if we have an idea that can be shared on TikTok, that can be shared on threads, that can be um, you know, shared in Instagram stories that that can work in pay. So it's not always the other way around. And so that's one of the things that we try to do from from that standpoint is take what we the core principles of of PR of earning attention and putting that into kind of modern day communications, which is really social first and social forward. That's how people are consuming a lot of their content and getting a lot of their news these days. Um, and so that's kind of the main thing is like w- w- there are we work with um, other agency partners on programs for campaign launches for our clients. So a new product launch, we'll work with the ad agency, the media buying agency, um, other multicultural agencies and things like that and come up with, you know, and support that that product or service or idea that is being that is being launched. But one of the things with Golan is that we try to kind of separate ourselves is we don't always want to do matching luggage. We don't want to just PR the advertising campaign. We want to find ways that we want to find things about you know a way that we can communicate that idea in that campaign in a way that's going to be meaningful and relevant to people 
Um, because if I just say, hey, buy this product now, it's new, it's it's fun, that can get glossed over. But if we figure out what people are talking about in culture and what matters to people and what this product service or the, our, our client, what that kind of, um, what their kind of way in is and marry that with kind of like, a message that resonates in both of those things, like the Venn diagram, um, we feel like we got something. And that's kind of what we try to do is we try to put our 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 our, our focus in that area that is gonna be what what matters to our client and what is getting talked about by 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 people that's gonna that's gonna be relevant for them. So that's kind of you know what we do. And you know we do you know typical PR you know typical media relations and PR programs and things like that. But you know we also do social media for our clients. Some of our clients are only um, our only social clients, we don't do their PR and some, uh, some of our clients are only PR and we don't do their social, um, you know, a lot of crisis communications when it comes to, when it comes to, uh, PR and comms. So we, we do a lot of that internal, external communications. Um, you know, a lot, like I said, we have a lot of creative folks in our, in our agency, creative specifically, um, that are developing creative for campaigns. So design, copywriting, um, a lot of that stuff, but I think the biggest separator is that we're earned first. Like that's our focus when we're when we're thinking of ideas and and trying to bring campaigns to life. That makes sense. That's a fantastic breakdown of it. Mm -hmm. And and I'm curious, working in the internet, excuse me, the internet space, where there's so much going on in terms of social, there's so much going on in terms of um, culture, there's so much going on in terms of multiple moving parts. How much of what you focus on is controlling ver controlling the narrative, whether that's company generated or public generated, um, or embracing the narrative. And I know that's kind of a, a little bit of an esoteric term, um, but how do you how do you look at that when there's you know virality going on and and mm -hmm. huge you know people having opinions left and right? Like, are you is your role to control that narrative, embrace it, or maybe somewhere in the middle? I think it's somewhere in the middle, Jordan, because um, I it, it's tough to, especially in 2023, right, to control the narrative as a brand, because ultimately your consumer, your customer, your audience, their experience with their brand is their experience. It's not what you tell them it is. Um, and so it's really in some, in, at some points embracing what the narrative is and how people are using it. Like a brand might say, this is what the product is for, but this is how we're using it. And as long, but the consumer would be like, well, this is how we're using it might be, you know, not what the intended use is or the intended way they thought. But if it's a positive thing, you embrace that. If it's a negative thing in the way they're using it, that's where you're going to want to try and do a little bit more of the control. I'll give you an example. But years ago, this was probably 2014, 2015, um, I um, was working on the McDonald's accounts when I kind of first started on that is um, there was this narrative about McDonald's chicken McNuggets that um, they were made with this pink slime, this oh, like yeah. pink goo, right? And that was the furthest thing from the truth. Somebody put that out there and you, as you know, it's being in, in the social space things can take off without being verified or without that validation. And so that was a narrative that was being put out on the internet for, for years. And McDonald's didn't really kind of fight back. They just let other people own the narrative for that. And then, you know, in concert with Golan and internally at McDonald's and some other agencies, we decided to take that narrative back and develop this program card called Our Food, Your Questions. And before this, McDonald's was really, um, and again, this was early days, kind of early days of brand social 2014, 2014 is not too early, but um, they didn't really engage much around kind of um, negative food narratives on social. And this was an opportunity for us, this for us and for McDonald's to say, actually we can, because we have something to say, we can't let people own that part of the narrative of our brand because it's untrue. So we need to tell our story. So we started to insert ourselves in those conversations and actually clarify, actually no, this is what it is. This is how it's made. We did in depth, we like in depth into kind of the suppliers and the manufacturers and kind of how chicken McNuggets are made, um, as well as kind of went on social and engaged with people. Like, actually, this is how it's made. This is what goes into it. Um, and, you know, even in certain instances, got people to retract like certain accounts that I think it was like Uber Facts or something like that said, stated something about it at the time. And then we went out to them and said, actually, no, this isn't the case. And they, and they, 
you know, redacted that and took it down because that was really not the case. And so that was one of the things that was a situation where when misinformation was spreading and kind of uh, erroneous information was spreading, that was an opportunity for us to help our a client control the narrative or at least be a part of that story and tell it in the, the right way. Um, so, and that was real, a lot of it, it was a 360 campaign. So it wasn't just done through social, but it was done on, you know, me, paid media, TV, all that stuff. And eventually that pink slime conversation, which was, you know, as part of McDonald's conversation went from here all the way down, almost non-existent. Now I think it's more like a legacy type thing where people make fun of it and they say that, but it was more prominent. But when we started to con take control of the narrative, completely went away. It, it's wild that you mentioned that because I remember Grant Imahara from Mythbusters yeah, exactly. wearing the cap in the factory when I was younger mm -hmm. saying, hey, this is how, you know, rest in peace to Grant, love the guy, yeah. um, you know, saying this is how chicken nuggets are made. And I remember being even younger than that and seeing the pink slime gifs on the uh, online. And once I saw it, I was like, oh, I guess they're regular chicken nuggets. And, and it's, it's wild that you had a part in that. And it's yeah. something that it it's so important to recognize whether you are controlling or embracing a narrative it's it has really really long lasting effects to the point where i can remember this random i don't even eat mcdonald's and i can remember <laughs> this, this random marketing campaign from you know 13 14 15 years ago and it, it's mm -hmm. just uh it's really cool to see how you have a role in that and social media plays a role in that mm -hmm. um I'm going to transition a little bit because yeah. I guess we are talking about um, influencers in the B2B space. And in your original role, you were you were tasked with finding YouTube influencers. And um, now the you know YouTube influencers, just for example, Mr. Beast works in a, a 60 second ad that's actually entertaining to watch, you know, in one of their videos or in one of his videos that has hundreds of millions of views to the point where I don't skip over it and I skip over every ad. And so hmm. I, I'm curious maybe i guess you typically work in the b2c space but yeah. in the b2b space um how do you see influencer marketing changing and and when i say b2b i'm thinking more like traditional tech companies because i work in the ipass industry there's not a whole lot of ipass influencers um, mm -hmm. i'm sure there's plenty of plenty of other industries that um, are b2b that do have influencers, but I, I'm curious how you've seen the B2B influencer space change. And you can also mention B2C, of, of course, but how has that changed from kind of the Wild West days of YouTube mm -hmm. um, to like the Mr. Beast days of now? What is what is your take on that? Yeah, I think with B2B specifically, I, I think there was like this, like even in like early on when I first started in social, I was like, when we were... I'd be asked to help kind of on more of like a corporate or B2B type program. I'm like, I, you know, I don't know if I'm the right person for that because my experience is really B2C. And, you know, I think it couldn't have been further from the truth that my experience and insight wouldn't have worked in that because what I, what I've seen with B2B, I feel like over the last few years, and again, as you mentioned, I'm more B2C, um, but, and you see this narrative in, in this across LinkedIn and other places, but like, we're all people at the end of the day, like you're B2B, you're, you're connecting with people, an individual or individuals to highlight your business uh, or your service on how that organization can utilize it. So it's ultimately a user experience and a person that's making that decision. So I think you've seen probably more B2C tactics fold into B2B now because it's, I feel like those lines are blurring a little bit um, because ultimately you want to see how the end user, whether or not it's a huge corporation that's using it for kind of like its organization, or if it's ultimately going to be more of a individual user thing, how your users, how the end user is actually going to be able to use that. So I think in, it, it's, there's not, not necessarily a permission, but just an awakening almost that the ways that used the ways of B2B from an influencer standpoint that used to be are not the ways that they need to be uh, now because you're having turnovers in leadership. A younger generation is coming through, more younger workers are coming through that are used to having these interactions with influencers um, and knows what works with their kind of target audience. Um, so I think you're seeing probably a little bit more of that that personal aspect in B2B and how it affects your employees, your the, your end users or whomever the target is for it 
is those are it's it feel it's less corporate it feels less stiff it feels it feels more relatable from a like person person to person peer to peer human to human level to use that um and i think that and i think that works because you have to break through i mean i imagine the folks if you're trying to do kind of a b2b thing it you can get glossed over easily if it's if it feels too salesy and and that's the same thing with b2c right if it feels too promotional feels too corporate it's going to get glossed over and so i think that some of those tactics that you're seeing in b2c um are folding into b2b and it seems like it, it you know it's become a more um well more creative more opportunity for creativity in the in the b2 in the b2b space from you know not only just a social standpoint but influencer standpoint I think you hit the nail on the head because, you know, there's there's certain posts uh, as a B2B social media manager that I have to make that are, mm -hmm. hey, we're attending this event. We're going to be at this conference because people need to know that information and, you know, yep. figure out what booth we're going to be at. And, and those posts do well, but the posts that really hit are the ones that I put humor and personality and, and, and you know, thought and effort and heart into. And mm -hmm. those are the types of posts that really drive B2C social media. Um, the ones that sound like they come from a person rather than a, an AI generated robot. And so uh, as B2B continues to evolve, I think the more that we can learn from B2C, to be the better. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm very thankful to have folks like you and just B2C in general to kind of lead the way and um, make sure that I don't make a huge mistake. <laughs> so thank you. Um, with that in mind, uh, I mentioned just like an AI robot creating things and how that is not ideal, whether you're B2B or B2C. Um, Mark, my co-host and I are frequently talking about AI in terms of supply chain management, in terms of ERP implementation, uh, in terms of error management and IPaaS. Um, but I think that you and I have a very different uh, experience and use case with AI where it's content generation, it's um, content creation, whether that's literal images, videos, um, written, uh, you know, writing and things like that. I'm kind of curious how you see AI changing the role of both PR, social media um, professionals, maybe now and then maybe five years down the line. Is, is it positive? Is it negative? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there's a huge, I, I think it's going to play a huge role. Um, and it already start, it, it's already starting too. And I know it's just, it, it's kind of in its infancy from like a massive, almost like a mass adoption standpoint. But, um, I, you know, I think you, you kind of hit it a little bit on the head with kind of some of the use cases. It's content generation. It's it's copy generation. It's idea generation, right? Like it, it's almost help. Like you can use, you know, I, and I'm not gonna lie. I have Chat GPT open right now. Um, I was trying to kind of brain, help brainstorm some things and like ways in uh, uh, for some things. And so, like I think it, it it helps from a brainstorming standpoint. It can help you kind of when you don't have somebody to bounce an idea off of or something like that. You can put something in and it can give you that thought starter. Um, and I think ultimate um, and with PR, I think there's going to be huge implications from like. You could plug in, write a press release about X topic, and it's gonna that hits on these three points, and it could do that, um, and and that's amazing. Write a pitch for me, that kind of stuff on on these things that hits on these three points, and so I think that's great. But one of the things that it loses is that personable standpoint, that relatability, as you were just you kind of you were talking about about those things that kind of hit. Is you, I think it will get more difficult over time but right now you can kind of tell when things are written ai has written something um it feels void of 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 that kind of human nature and that humanity part uh but i think as this goes on like what this is a you know chat gbt started coming out like eight months ago nine months ago right from like from a public standpoint um it's going to get better it's going to learn and it's going to be a little bit more difficult so i think it actually puts the onus on you as a professional, whether PR, social, whatever industry, to get better and to make sure you're not lax on it. So, um, because I think it, it it's going to only get better, more difficult to do. But I think it it's a tool and it has an immense it has immense kind of um, positives, like you know doing a mid journey or something like that of creating images. Like I've looked at every stock image on the internet. I don't like it. I'm going to plug in something that I want on Midjourney. They're going to, it's going to have this image, which actually is really cool. And it fits for this pitch deck that I'm doing or this, 
um, or this presentation that I need. Um, from a social standpoint, it can help with topics. It can help with kind of um, answering questions and things like that. That's one of the biggest things. I, I actually use AI as like a search engine now versus like, oh, yeah. like Google where I'm getting dozens and page and dozens and dozens of pages of stuff like i'm looking for a specific answer to a question i plug it in there it is of course i want to verify that and make sure it's actually right but it gives me an easier like a starting point and that's what i've been using ai for me is starting points on um on ideas and thinking and answers and stuff like that but i do think it's going to have a big impact on social media professionals and pr professionals um I think a lot from a writing standpoint, but also from a creative idea generation and um, design standpoint, I think it, it will make a, a big impact. But I think that is why that's why it's important for us as PR professionals, social professionals to understand the use cases and how it works so we can be the ones that are employing it and not the other way around. That's that's a, a fantastic take on it. And I think. 99% of what you just mentioned is is the positive side of things. And actually, last night, right before bed, I was watching a YouTube video and, a, and an ad came on that was some political ad. I have no idea who it was about or which side it was for, um, but it was using an AI-generated mm. video of a specific politician with an AI-generated voice. Um, and I didn't even notice because I was on my phone while the ad was going on, but I was kind of paying attention and I saw it said, this is a parody advertisement brought to you by X, Y, Z. And I was, I, I was like, wow. Like if, you know, if I wasn't in a field that has adopted AI heavily, you know, in the tech space, maybe just a younger person in general, like this could be, a, this is a little bit scary. And, and one of the few things that we haven't talked about on this podcast, me and you, and just the podcast in general is like the negative side of mm -hmm. AI. Um, obviously you're working with huge, you know, customers, Dyson, McDonald's, uh, dryers, things like that. Um, you know, both currently in the past and you're not going to use AI to generate anything terrible for them, but I'm curious if, if the negative side of AI of, you know, political advertisements, uh, you know, um, where they're generating facial images to look like someone else, whether that's just a photo or video, um, deep fakes, things like that. Do the positives outweigh the negatives? And if yes or no, why? That's a good question. I, I know we're I, getting ethical today. Sorry. Yeah, right. I think it, a lot of it, like, to, so what your example, right, of, of like a political ad being completely AI generated. And it's, a, it's like it, if my parents probably would not have known the difference, right? And that's that was my scary, first thought. Right. And, that, and that's scary because some people can that aren't paying attention. And there are some people who I, I'm older than you, but like that are in and around our age that aren't in our field, that aren't paying attention, that might think it's real too, that just, it goes over their head. And so I think that there are real pitfalls, right? And it, and I think you see that with some of the creators of these things, like the creators of chat GPT and other AI things that are even in front of Congress saying, we actually need regulation around some of these things because they understand that there are pitfalls and dangers and negatives that can be for first, you know, bad actors who can use that for, for, for negative purposes or for their own gain. And I think it's going to be a point where, you know, brands and agencies and holding companies and things like that, or where there will have to be some sort of stand about like, what is the compliance with AI? Obviously anything we do with AI, um, you know, we would have to note that, right? Like this was generated with AI or something like, so we're very transparent at Golan about our use of AI, um, especially with, with outputs of, of, of things. Um, but I think it's, a lot of it is gonna be on how we as people use it. Um, I like to think the best of humanity and, and, and the best of people, I'm, I'm usually an optimist and like to say that it's gonna be used for good and for positive things, but you can't, you know, you have to be a realist and know that some of these things are gonna be negative. And some of these things can be negative about your brand, right? It can be negative about, you know, if you're at, or about your client and things like that. And so then you're gonna to have to do, it's gonna to have to, it's gonna make that much more work for you to figure out how you protect against that. So I think it's, it right now for me, at this point, some of the pos the positives are outweighing the negatives a little bit, but I see a, I can certainly see a world where the negatives are equal, if not 
weighing outweighing the positives because of how people use it. It only takes a small subsection of 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 folks to kind of really bring that negative over because we tend to focus on the negative more than the positive. There can be oh, yes. a thousand positive comments on a post, right? But you as a social media manager, Jordan, no, you're focusing on those 10 that are like, man, those are why are those negative? Right. But there's a hundred that are that are positive, but you're focusing on the negative parts. So we tend to focus on those. And I feel like that might how might might be how it is with with AI. But my hope is that the positive stuff um, outweighs the the negative or as much as as much as possible. Uh, it, it's interesting. I was reading an article on Vice recently about um, Bing's uh, AI powered image creator, which is powered by OpenAI's Dolly, and um, people were able to create some like very inappropriate um, images using that service. And I mean, obviously, it's just individuals doing it. It's not on, you know, it's not like. Uh, massive companies are publishing these but mm -hmm. it, it's just and we don't have to get into the nitty-gritty of this but it's just interesting how that kind of overlays with free speech and right to you know people's rights to create things to say what they want to use um, tools you know whether people view that as a good thing or a bad thing that maybe those types of restrictions um, will be put on or won't but it's just i don't know we're at a very I feel like we're kind of on the precipice on the fence of, of the positives and negatives of AI. I, I'm in the mm -hmm. same boat where I think that, yeah, there's a few bad apples and that's okay. You know, they'll probably weed themselves out. Um, and, and I'm typically positive about it and I've had nothing but a great experience utilizing AI so far. And so I'm hoping that, um, you know, more people tend to take our uh, approach when it comes mm -hmm. to seeing the positives and using it for positive rather than negative and unethical, um, reasons but anyways okay we've been talking about some pretty heavy stuff in terms of social media <laughs> in terms of pr in terms of ai in general um i want to change it uh for the last little third of this interview that is something a little bit lighter and something that i think you've mastered really really well and i've observed you do it really really well um but I, i'm curious when you decided to turn your linkedin profile into like a educational network or like a social media manager hub um, and why specifically you chose LinkedIn. So I'll just kind of leave that yeah. as an open door. Yeah. Um, well, first, thank you uh, for that. Um, I would say like I've been on LinkedIn for a while. I, I don't know for how long it's probably been 10. It's, I think it's probably been 10 plus years probably, but it was one of those things I signed up, did it, you know, mainly just because I was in the social space and wanted to check out the platforms and know what I was talking about, those types of things. Uh, I think I really started to like, and most of my probably like pre 20, like 19, 2018, I was probably just doing more like link sharing updates on social media platforms and stuff like that, sharing like funny things that I thought were interesting. And I would say probably 2020 when we all went into our, you know, working from home and doing all that stuff when, when COVID first hit and I wasn't engaging in IRL with, with colleagues and friends as much writing kind of became an outlet for me. And I was always active on Twitter. I did that a lot. That was, that was my favorite platform. Uh, no longer <laughs> is, um, but I, so, but LinkedIn was a place where I started to like, I felt like Twitter was my quick hits and stuff like that. LinkedIn, I was doing more, um, more like I hate the term thought leadership kind of thing, but like I was doing more things about what I thought of the social industry, work culture, PR industry. So I was doing a little bit more longer form of those types of things. And it just like, I think one post or two posts and then one post did well. And I was like, this is, you know, people seem to relate to this. And that that's a big thing for me is, is relatability, whether or not it's an experience that I've had or an experience that I've observed others have and putting it out there. And so people know that there are other folks that kind of have the same experience or going through the same things. And so I started to kind of do focus on that a little bit, especially focus on LinkedIn in 2020, probably when, when we were started, everybody started working. Most of our industry started working from home and and in doing those types of things and so that was one of the things is that it was a creative outlet for me both for twitter and for linkedin 
And I kept doing more of the LinkedIn, like a little bit more of like um, sharing that my, my experience on things I've worked on or just sharing kind of positive things about work culture. And then it kind of morphed a little bit more into kind of like, I can share this on Twitter. So I, why wouldn't I share this on LinkedIn too? Going back to our kind of B2B conversation, while it's a corporate social network or whatever, it's for business, we're all people on there, right? Like whether or not you're running a brand page on there or you're just doing it individually, you're a human on this page and there's a good chance you relate to a lot of stuff. So that's when I started like kind of folding in memes and other work-related humor and stuff like that, especially in 2020 when we were all like, what is going on? We don't know what to do, um, especially so some of that work-related humor. And it started to resonate with people. And so I kind of kept going in that direction. I love the, you know, I mix in um, the humor with some more just like general like um, perspective on social or perspective on work life and culture and stuff like that. Um, but that's kind of what I've, I've tried to do. And everything I try to do comes from a place of relatability of whether it's based on my experience, whether it was last week or last year or two years ago, some things will just resurface in my brain about a thing, a situation I was in and do that. But that's kind of like, it really kind of started to focus on LinkedIn um, in 2020. And one of the things I love about LinkedIn is it's a, it, for the most part, it's a positive place. And also the long tail of your posts is kind of crazy on LinkedIn. It's, you know, you used like with Twitter, it would be like 17 minutes after you post, if you don't get it, then, then it's done or 24 hours, it's gone. But LinkedIn, you get people, you know, engaging with your posts like six months later or, you know, two weeks down the line, things like that. And so it's, it's the long tail of it too, is that it, it's, it, it's an evergreen platform too, which, which I really enjoyed. So that was kind of when that 2020 is when I started to do my focus and kind of how I started to, you know, create on there. That's awesome. I think I got on the train a little bit later, but I, I kind of had the same realization. Everything that you said resonates quite a bit with me. In addition to the fact that there's so many people on LinkedIn and so few creators. And so mm -hmm. it really is just like a, a, a ripe channel for, um, you know, personal brand building, regular brand building, networking in general. Um, and so, I mean, if you look at my profile and you look at yours, I definitely model uh, a lot of what I've been doing over the past year plus from what I've seen you do, because not only do I know it works, but it's actually really interesting and it's really engaging and it's a really cool way to um, network, develop friends, create a community in a business mm -hmm. setting that most people probably don't look at it that way, but they still engage with it in a, in a really positive and, and fun way. So in terms of, you know, building your own personal brand, I think a lot of people can take note from what you do. I've tried to do the same. And uh, it's just been, it's been really cool to see how you've succeeded on the platform. With that in mind, what is the current state of LinkedIn? And do you think that that LinkedIn will be the platform for the next five years? Or is someone going to swoop in and make something better, more interesting, more engaging, more professional, less professional? Um, how do you see how do you see LinkedIn's role both for individual creators and brands moving? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe in the next five ten years. Yeah. Uh, well, first, thank you for uh, for the kind words, Jordan. I appreciate that. And uh, so you have some bangers on on yours, man. So a few. You're, just, you're doing few. you're doing great um, uh, uh, on the content I see on LinkedIn as well. Um, and as far as you, like the, your question goes, I think it's I feel like some of the like I, I feel like now. LinkedIn, there are some, um, like, there's like some per perception of like, there's like LinkedIn bros or broetry or like thread boys <laughs> are now on LinkedIn and doing all that stuff. And I think there is that there are people on LinkedIn who probably are using AI to create posts and just flapping it on there. And it's kind of this, a lot of the same stuff. Um, and I'm all for repurposing. I do it. I do it. You should be doing every, you know, people should be doing it. Right. But like oh, they, write this, they write the same stuff um, and, and do it over and over again. And so there, there's that faction, but I think that's, a, I think they get a lot of attention, but I don't think that that is kind of like what the norm is. Um, I see LinkedIn continuing to be um, a place that evolves in how business is in the modern world in 2023. I don't think LinkedIn at when it started would, would have worked the way it is now. But given, you know, kind of how a younger generation, uh, Gen Z and millennials who have grown into um, kind of now like mid to senior level roles, uh, roles, they're, you know, Gen Xers, 
are using it, younger Gen Xers who are using it differently than maybe uh, older generations who think like business is business and it has to be this and we have to talk about this, um, which is not all folks that say that. But I think just the way that a younger generation thinks about their interactions with work and with business is changing. And I think that is gonna model a little bit more on kind of how you start to, how you see LinkedIn evolve over the next five to 10 years. Um, I only think it's going to get a little bit, the blending of, uh, of personal and professional is going to continue in, in my opinion, unless LinkedIn steps in and makes some sort of kind of decision. I know that they, like earlier in the year, they changed the algorithm where it was like they were suppressing certain things. And I know I felt it. Um, and uh, certain things and promoting different things. And so I think they probably will still do that, but I think it's going to be a blending of personal and professional, especially as a younger generation continues to kind of new users come onto the platform and, and do that. Um, and I think that that's okay. And then I think that kind of use case makes it a little bit easier for brands who might've been hesitant to engage or put content out there to jump into that. Cause like, if you look at, Duolingo on TikTok and X and whatever Twitter um, and threads about how and versus how they are on LinkedIn, they are still. Um, I would say they're not so like tip, like very corporate on LinkedIn, but they're not as far on kind of their um, on they're not as far as they're going as far as they do on TikTok and and like Twitter or something like that. But they found a unique voice that isn't that doesn't feel like stiff and doesn't feel like too corporate on LinkedIn um, that works for them. And I think you're gonna to start to see brands being able to do like that that it makes sense for, start to feel more comfortable in having more of a personal personable voice versus a corporate voice on LinkedIn. And sure, there's gonna be certain things that we have to put out there, company statements, press release, that, like, or wait, not press releases, I wouldn't wanna put a press release on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> but like corporate statements, stuff like that, reactive reaction things, CEO, CMO statements, things like that. Um, that you're going to have to do. But I think as far as everyday content, like, like you just also have to look at, like, I think it's going to get more personable and I, you'll just have to look at who your audience is. Like if you have, you know, your, most of your audience is 50 plus, you know, maybe talking in, you know, slang terms for that a Gen Z uh, generation is using, probably not the best way. But if your audience is young professionals, you know, 25 to 35, you can probably have a little bit more um, leeway with kind of how your voice is there. And so I think it, it'll be, it'll be um, you know, brand by brand, but I think you'll start to see more brands be comfortable using it as a, as a platform to engage with in, you know, a less in a less corporate way moving forward. I think you hit the nail on the head. My, my only concern is that LinkedIn continues to uh, adapt and develop with this influx of new younger users. And, you know, they see that this content that maybe isn't as traditional or corporate does the best on their platform. Mm -hmm. And they figure out additional tools, services, methods to allow um, those brands and those creators to shine. Because yeah. I think LinkedIn is pretty set in their ways. And I think they have a really good product. I also think that there's probably a few tweaks uh, that they need to to make in the coming two, three years to really embrace the change that you just discussed is coming. And I think if they do that, they're going to really, really set themselves up to be the, I mean, they already are the business social media platform, but I think they can take advantage of the virality of places like Twitter and TikTok um, to really create a much more engaging and fun place for, for professionals to exist. I think yeah. they're close, but, um, you know, just based on the content that you create on there, the content that I create on there, it is a fun place. And I, I mean, I'm a social media manager and I don't love social media in my personal life. I consume it, but I don't post on it, but I do on LinkedIn because it's, it's fun to talk about grown up things in a fun mm -hmm. manner. And whether that's, you know, a promotion or a work success or a meme about my job, it, it really is a good place. So I'm, I'm hoping that it continues to grow and change in the ways that you mentioned. Yeah. And I think with that, like it has to have a differentiation from Facebook, right? It can't become Facebook. It can't be a place where 
it has the purpose. It is your like you know it like you said. It's kind of it is the it's the business social network, and it's a it's a professional where we're sharing kind of things about business life. If you want to mix in personal stuff, I think that that's okay. I think you should be your whole true self on LinkedIn and wherever you're going to be. But I, I'm not going to post pictures of my daughter necessarily there because you know what? I'm saving that for my family and for you know the my close friends and stuff like that. I'll talk about my daughter, but am I like, and how it relates to something like one post I had was that I get to take time. I'm grateful that I have an organization that allows flexibility for PTO that I could take up a Wednesday off and spend it with my daughter, you know, and go strawberry picking after her school, like stuff like that. So I think there are ways to get personal that showcase the professional side of you too and the personal side and that's what like that's the thing is like i think it'll continue to get more personable but my hope is that it doesn't lose that professional aspect of it because that's what makes it unique if it loses that then it becomes a facebook or it becomes something else and you know the professional side of things is you know let's be honest we're all when we're employed and we make money and that's how we support family and get the things that we need um and so part of that LinkedIn, part of one of the reasons I check LinkedIn is to look for advice for people who are in the same industry or places I may want to go with, you know, in my leadership style or um, other things. And so I, my hope is it doesn't lose that core value of it um, because learning to grow as a professional business professional or professional in general, that's a core reason why I use it and keep going back to it as well as to, to find those things. And mixing in with the personal is, is totally is, is great and you know i think that you i bring your you, like i said bring your whole self to work and to to linkedin but again one of the reasons i use it too is for for growth as a professional and look to others and peers to kind of get you know hear their experience see their experience as well and maybe other challenges that they have and how we can you know learn to overcome those things yeah it's interesting i i like the concept of bring your whole self to work i'm going to scale that back and say 85 percent because there's some people who there you go definitely yeah. don't need to have their whole self mm -hmm. uh, on linkedin and, i agree and, i'll agree with that John. perfect and, and like you said you know it does need to remain professional but luckily there are checks and balances where if someone is acting non-professional you can always take a screenshot and if you feel so inclined send it to the right person or there's other communities like linkedin lunatics on reddit oh, where, yeah. you see, where you see some truly unhinged things oh, yeah. that, there are systems of checks and balances and so i think linkedin will kind of self-regulate uh in a way to allow both new content creation and fun but also um ensure that there's not too much craziness yeah. okay so with that in mind we're getting towards the end and i don't want to take up all of your day but i have um one two quick questions to wrap it up um and then i'll get you out of here because uh, it is yeah. friday um the first question is i know we talked about kind of more traditional radio uh traditional radio traditional media um mm -hmm. early on in this in this podcast i'm curious what did uh working in radio uh a format with no copy that you can't read images that you can't see what did that teach you about you know perhaps working in PR, marketing, um, promotion, and social media in general? So I think the first thing it taught me is because I was in the promotions department, it taught me about how to communicate with an audience because I was, my team and I, we were typically the first and sometimes only personal interaction that a listener had with the radio station. Most of the time, you're not going to have access to the DJs or you're not going to be able to go to the radio station and do those types of things. And so um, typically it's a passive relationship, right? You're listening to it on the radio. And 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 what I, what I got to do was interact with people and hear their perspectives and get information from them about what they wanted from the radio station, what they liked, what they didn't. And then also hear, you know, things during of, of, of things we could be doing better and, and whatnot. And so I think it did teach me some communication skills um, on how to communicate with people. And then like, I was also very friendly with a lot of the DJs and they, it, observing and watching them do their thing in the studio helped me with improvisation because they had like, you know, most of them didn't don't have a script, right? They're making up some of the stuff and looking at what was in, what was trending in the news and kind of going and riffing off of that. So it helped me kind of with from a creativity standpoint of how I could, should consume things for creativity, 
to, to help with my creativity. Um, and also improv improvisation. They had to improvise a lot of times too, even though a lot of that stuff is cut beforehand, but when they were live, suddenly they had to improvise in a lot of things. So kind of observing them helped me with that, which as, as you well know, in, in, in this line of work, you have to improvise a lot because, you know, most of the plans you have get you this far and then you got to go, you know, off course um, and you have to, and you have to improvise kind of the next step. So those were the kind of the two things that really taught, uh, the, the, those were the things working in radio taught me about um, or helped me in kind of where I am today. That's awesome. That's a, a fantastic answer. And I think probably those things are, are still incredibly relevant today. So that's mm -hmm. cool to hear. Um, lastly, uh, one of the things that I always say, and this is my typical ending question, is we have a lot of C-level and VP-level executives on this podcast. And I think a lot of people listening or a lot of people in work in general um, view these people as kind of these uh, technology robots that are, you know, you fill them up with gas and oil and they run like this and they don't really have a life outside of work. And something that I've learned doing this podcast is that every VPNC level person is really interesting. They're all really personable. They're all really fun people and they do a lot of stuff outside of work. And so in an effort to uh, humanize you and help people realize that you're not some scary SVP uh, overlord, um, tell the listeners before you go, just outside of work, what are your passions, hobbies, and interests? Oh man. Uh, well, I will say that I, I, my family is kind of, is the most important thing, right? My daughter uh, and my wife are the, the most important things to me. And so, you know, spending most of my, you know, out, out off of work time with my family and, and raising and raising my daughter and, and seeing the world through her eyes, right. That that's kind of one of the biggest things, but you know, for me, um, you know, I do, I, I do meditate. I like to meditate. So you probably find me meditating a little bit, listening to podcasts. Um, I, you might be able, you might see a guitar back here, which I try to play. I'm not great at it, but, or even really good at it, but I, um, will like try and strum that a little bit when I need a little inspiration and stuff like that. Um, you know, so I enjoy sports too. I'm a, I played basketball in, in junior college, high school through junior college. And so really am a big fan of Chicago sports unfortunately i guess because you know, chicago sports aren't really aren't really that hot right now unfortunately I'm from Oakland, man. I, I feel uh, your pain yeah so um but yeah big sports fan so that also is a big a big thing for me is just kind of taking in that and you know um so those are kind of like some of the things too uh um that outside of of kind of my my work life or kind of like uh consume my kind of uh my my per my personal life well, that's awesome, man. I'm glad the listeners got to at least get to know you on a personal level. I'm sure some SDR will listen to the very end of this podcast and reach out <laughs> to you about Chicago sports or something of that nature. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, I just wanted to say, uh, Josh, thank you so much for joining us on the Technology Leadership Podcast uh, of Sligo. This has been a really fantastic uh, episode diving into some things that we typically don't dive into. So um, just wanted to say thank you for your time and attention. You're a fantastic guest. And um, for those of you still listening, we'll see you around next week. Bye, everybody. Okay. Bye.